we're wrapping up a series today um, where we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. And we're not going to make it quite all the way through the Sermon on the Mount because we've got some other things in store for us this fall. But we're going to close today by looking uh, at, at the Lord's Prayer um, in Matthew chapter 6. And um, the thing I want you to think about as we open God's Word and we talk about the Lord's Prayer is, um, is I, I, want, I want to set the scene for you this morning. What does it, there was this, there was this phrase uh, during the Protestant Re- Reformation, which is arguably uh, one of the times of greatest revival in the history of the church. Uh, there was this phrase, this Latin phrase, uh, quorum Deo, and it means to live before the face of God. And when Martin Luther was asked about kind of the, 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 the summary of what was happening, that's the phrase that he said. It's like every, every, every aspect about what we're doing, every aspect about our lives are about living before his face. Um, and Jesus, as, as we get into Matthew 6, you're going to see that Jesus tells us how not to pray before he tells us how to pray. And the thing that I'm struck by is how he is calling us to pray before the face of the Lord. Um, he, he warns us over and over and over again um, about, about the dangers of not doing that. Um, and so to set the scene for this, uh, we're going to go to Revelation chapter 20. Um, it's Revelation chapter 20 is one of the places that is most clear about what it'll be like to be before the face of the Lord. Um, I think you can see glimpses of it in the garden. You see glimpses of it in Revelation 20. And like our pursuit of his face is what fills the rest of the Bible, right? Um, and so as we think about Revelation 20 in this scene, um, this scene is the final judgment of Christ. I know what you're thinking. Wow, you give him a few weeks off, he comes back with hellfire and brimstone, right? Uh, but seriously, like, uh, it's a scene that many of us have a lot of questions about. Um, and most Christians, if they're honest, do not want to think about the end of time. Um, yeah, the scriptures call us to, they call us to think about it. And this scene uh, is the end of time, and it's just you, and it's your Lord. So in that scene, what are you thinking what are you feeling? Are you nervous? Are you insecure? Are you regretful as you think back on your life? Or are you confident, joyful, and hopeful as you sit before your Lord? Do you imagine that he'll look at you in the accumulation of your life with delight? Or do you imagine your life being made complete as you are before the face of God? Or do you imagine yourself like some people running for the hills, wishing that rocks would fall on them, as Revelation 6 says? Revelation 20, 11 through 15 says this. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. So that's Jesus seated on his throne at the right hand of his Father in heaven, interceding for his people, his church, that have been redeemed not by their good works, but by the good blood of Jesus. And the scriptures say, from his presence, the earth and the sky fled away and no place was found for them. Think about that phrase. The earth and the sky, everything that we consider significant other than image bearers, fled away from the face of God because it was so sinful. And so it's just us and it's just the Lord. And he says, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. In other words, I saw all people standing before the throne. This is uh, the Apostle John writing about this vision that he had. And he said, I saw, um, uh, and books were opened. 
Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. (laughs) This scene says this, that there are books and then there is the book of life. The books contain every sinful action of every unbeliever who's ever lived and sinned on this earth because nothing is hidden from his sight. And on the other hand, there's this book of life. This book of life is like a registry of sorts, you know, of those who have been purchased by the blood of Jesus before the foundation of the earth. And only those who have surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, only those names are found in that book. And for those people, Hebrews 8 says this, I will remember their sins no more. We who are in Christ Jesus, friends, we have been acquitted, we have been absolved, we have been exonerated, we have been declared innocent and found not guilty because of the blood of Jesus. And because of this, our Father in heaven will never, ever, ever again hold our sin against us. And because of that, we can confidently access our Father in heaven through prayer. Amen? Until we understand that, we will not confidently access our Father in heaven through prayer. We'll always be second-guessing what we're doing. We'll always be living in the past, playing back the tapes, because our future, we think, is tied to ourselves. But our future is hitched to Jesus. So my hope today is that your confidence would swell as you think about being face-to-face with the Lord. That, That the end of time would inform how you live today. They will inform how you pray today. Um, prayer is about this idea of quorum Deo, living before the face of God. Because whatever it is that's left when it's just you and the Lord is what matters most about you. When all of the distractions, when all of the ambitions, when all the distortions melt away in your life, what's left? What's left? That's what matters most about you. So today we're talking about Jesus's encounters with his disciples and he teaches them about prayer. But we cannot miss uh, the fact that prayer is first and foremost about encountering the living God on a day-to-day basis. So here's our big idea for today. Prayer is an expression of our union with the Father through Christ. If it's about anything other than that, it's not the kind of prayer that Jesus is calling us to. So uh, we're going to look at a couple things here. Jesus, uh, like I said earlier, tells us how not to pray before he tells us to pray. So uh, really a two-part sermon here. The first part is this. We need to look at the distortions of our union through prayer. Um, Jesus calls some of them out. We've probably got some of our own as well. Uh, And then we're going to look at the substance of how to pray the Lord's way. So let's read uh, God's word from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received 
their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard with their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So as we think about God's word here, every distortion or disruption of our union with Christ is ultimately about drawing us away from intimacy with God, uh, really trying to, to find something in and of ourselves. So we have this enemy and his goal is to wedge anything that he can between you and this union that Jesus has won for you. And he uses lots of sinful and worldly things that we could name, we could talk about. Some of us have experienced many of those things and the wedge that they create. But he also uses godly things. That's the warning here. So last week, uh, Leon's preached and he talked about this idea of how giving alms, which one of the spiritual disciplines that to, to be given to give and to be generous. Uh, today, I'm talking about prayer. If we were to continue the series, we talk about fasting next week. All of these good things that God calls us to that are, are intended to deepen our intimacy with God, they can all be turned on their head and used as an instrument of wickedness when they're in the wrong place. And Jesus says that the key is, who are you when no one else is around? Last week he said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. This week he says, go into your closet, into a secret place where no one else is around, and then pray, and then you'll see who you are. Um, and, and, and so, you know, we want to look at these distortions in Jesus' day, all right? And, and what we're going to discover is maybe some of them are the same of what we experience, maybe some of them are not. But Jesus says that there was this propensity toward a, a hypocritical type of, of prayer. And last week, Leonce uh, correctly, um, you know, explained what the word hypocrite meant, means uh, in, in this culture. And it, it literally means an actor. So, 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 so when it comes to prayer, it's someone who wants you to think that they are something that they are not, that there is an intentional fakeness about them and, and in how they display their their, um, themselves before God and before others. And the scriptures say that they, the whole reason that they pray the way that they do is they want to be seen by other people. Um, and, and we, we feel that tension. We, we feel like we, we, we often want to, uh, look a certain way in front of others because we find more comfort and security from the approval of others than we do God. And so we will even, we'll even pursue it through something like prayer, like prayer in a missional community, prayer in a discipleship group, you know, uh, f fasting, you know, giving. We can't wait for people to know what we've given, right? We've all fallen into those traps if we've followed Jesus for any length of time. And so he calls those out. Now, um, so what we see is that Jesus's disciples were surrounded by these spiritual hypocrites. And if you keep this in mind, so Jesus's disciples uh, were not, um, the other rabbis in the culture that day, they were not their first choice, right? They didn't get gobbled up by, by some other, uh, you know, Pharisee to follow, some other religious leader to follow. They were, they were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They, they didn't make the cut, as many commentators would say. 
They, they, they didn't have what it took in the world's eyes or these religious leaders' eyes, and so they were about different things. And Jesus comes, and he, and he finds them, and he calls, them to, he, calls, he calls these two fishermen to himself, right? He calls these tax collectors to himself to follow him, and he redeems their calling and sets them on mission. And so Jesus' disciples are seeing that John's disciples know how to pray. You can read this in the book of Luke. He says, well, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And he sees it right in their eyes that they are tempted to look at those guys who look like they have it all together and mimic what they're doing. Jesus says, do not take the bait. Don't fall into that trap. Don't try to be like those guys. Don't let them ruin the purity of your heart and your motives. It's far more simple than what they make it out to be. It's living with a life of integrity before your God, before the face of God. And so these guys probably wanted to to be like others, and Jesus says, don't do that. Um, And all of the, the hypocrites' spiritual disciplines were focused on the spiritual image that they were trying to curate for themselves. They wanted to intimidate, they wanted to impress, they wanted to seem untouchable. But it was all focused on self. Jesus says, don't fall into that trap. Uh, Two weeks ago, I met a new friend uh, in Honduras. Uh, He's a 23-year-old Honduran pastor in training, and his name is Irving. I don't know if we've got a picture back there of, yeah, there we go. So Irving's in the middle. That's me and Dave and Caden. They're in the picture as well. And uh, Irving's story is this. He grew up in the slums of San Pedro Sula. They call it the Bordos because it borders the river there. And, um, and so he grew up in this slum. His whole family uh, lived in this slum. There's about 5,000 people in it. And this ministry came in that started to disciple these young men and women. And now we're 10 years down the track, and Irving has been raised up as a pastor in that community. Isn't that amazing? <clears throat> I, um, I sat in a meeting um, with Irving, <clears throat> sorry, oh, gosh, and, and Jorge, Jorge was there with me, and John Thompson, who's a pastor in Lilburn, and, and Irving shared his heart with us, and he's, he, he, you, could just, you could just tell how much his heart hurt for the people of what they call Rancho Benita, um, and, and his heart hurt so much because the religious leaders of the community, the pastors of the other churches, um, they oppressed the people with legalism so deeply that when, when Irving came and he preached grace, they called him a heretic. And he's like, what am I supposed to do? I'm just this 23-year-old kid, right? I'm just learning how to be a pastor. And these older respected men of the community are saying what I'm doing doesn't matter, that it doesn't count. And I just, I just sat in that, in that scene around that table with Irving and Jorge and I heard his heart and I just thought, man, this sounds like something straight out of the Bible, doesn't it? And um, anyway, so as you think about it, pray for Irving. Pray for him this week. Pray that God would give him strength. We prayed for him that day and I just loved getting to hear him preach. I uh, just loved being a part of his ministry. But I feel like Irving is what Jesus was talking about here in Matthew 6. Um, he's saying, don't base your, your spiritual life off of people who look like they have it together. Base it on Jesus. Base it on what Jesus prioritizes, uh, prioritizes. Base it on a heart full of integrity living before the face of God. Base it on nothing else. So as we think about that, we think about the distortions in Jesus's day, what are the distortions in our day? I think we might experience some of the same ones uh, where, where we think, and maybe you're someone 
Let's just use an example of prayer. Maybe you're someone who's afraid to pray in front of other people. Um, you just don't really want to do it. And in the scripture, it doesn't say like if, you, if you're afraid to pray in front of other people that you're a sinner. But I just wonder if some of this is going on in the background in your own story. Where you're thinking, man, I don't have the words. Jesus is saying, perfect. Let me give them to you, right? Um, where you don't have the courage. Where you think other people are further along than you. Do not undermine what God has done in your life, friend. Do not undermine it. Even as simple as you might think it to be, the church, we need simple prayers. We need hearts full of integrity that are living before the face of God. The, the litmus test for genuine worship is what exists when it's just you and the Lord. Not what exists when it's just you in front of a group of people. Not what comes from a stage, not what comes from a leadership position. But secrecy is what Jesus says. Secrecy is the only way to see what's left in us when everything else is gone. And that's what matters most about us. Jesus shows us how to deepen intimacy with him. It's about knowing our father, being honest about ourselves, and seeking deeper dependence on our father's ability to provide and protect us. That's what the Lord's Prayer is all about. Uh, and so as we look at the Lord's Prayer, I want you to think about it from that vein. I want you to think about it from the vein of uh, uh, it being an expression of your connection to the Father through Jesus. That's all prayer is. It's our deepening intimacy with him. I, I think sometimes, you know, the other ditch that we fall into might, might not be um, that we pray to be seen. It might be that we don't pray at all. I think that's the bigger ditch of our day, the, the bigger sin of our day. And I think it's, I think it's because uh, we've fallen into the trap of uh, kind of a deistic mindset, a deistic worldview. And what deism is, deism says that, yes, there is a God, he is a creator, but he is not involved in the creation at all. And I think our American worldview and our ability to get things done and make money uh, is an enemy of our prayer life. Because we don't come to him with super simple needs. We're like, I'll just figure that out. I'll just Amazon it, right? I'll just, I'll just get it done, right? We, we, don't, we don't think, we, we're not as needy as we really should be because we have believed the lie that we're further along on our own than we really are. And our culture uh, just perpetuates this idea. Um, our lack of prayer at its core denies the incarnation of Jesus, when we fail to pray in our closet or on our own, we are ultimately saying that either that we do not need God or he does not want to engage our hearts in both of those statements or lies. We have Jesus, God with us, God in us, God for us, and every act of worship expressed through those spiritual disciplines, whatever they are for us, is like a mirror that reveals who we think Jesus really is. The truth is, is that Jesus, and we're gonna look at this in a second, has won us through our Father. We have a common Father in heaven. He desires to be close to us. The truth is Jesus has ushered us into his Father's kingdom. He's made us co-heirs and participants of the redemption of all things. The truth is Jesus knows your need before you ask it. The truth is Jesus is our provision before you ever knew that you were needy. The truth is Jesus knows our sins and stands ready and eager to forgive us of our sins. It's the most astounding thing he ever said, right? Uh, rise, get up your mat and walk, John chapter two. Your sins are forgiven, or Mark chapter two rather. It's, it, it astounded people because he, 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 he said that, that, uh, that the, the pain of this world uh, was related to sin and he forgave the sin. And then he showed the fact that, that this man was healed. Uh, from that. 
So here's the question. When it's just you and your father, and I'm going to move on to the next point because we've actually got to get to the Lord's Prayer. Uh, (laughs) When it's just you and your father, who are you? When there's nothing left, there's there's not you in corporate worship, you in a small group, you at work, all the different faces of you. When it's just you and your father, who are you? Because that's what matters most to God. And that's expressed through our prayer. And whoever you are right there is who you need to be in this community. That's what the church needs. That's what the world needs. Jesus lived, died, and rose so you could have an ever-increasing intimacy with your Father in heaven. And this intimacy is bottomless, friends. And when this is the goal of our worship, this is the goal of our spiritual disciplines, Jesus says, here's what prayer looks like. So let's look at the substance of the prayer. I'll read the prayer for us real quick and then we'll we'll go through it together. It's a really simple prayer. And this is the thing that Jesus was emphasizing about the spiritual disciplines, right? It's really more simple than we make it out to be. It's not the length of the prayer, it's the substance that matters. And you will never find a deeper prayer than this one. You can't pray it enough. Uh, You can't add to it, you can't take away from it. It is everything that we need on this earth. Here's what Jesus says to his disciples who are wondering how they should pray. He says this, first thing is this, pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done, Father, on earth as it is in heaven where you are, Father. Give us this day our daily bread, Father, and also forgive us of our debts or our trespasses as as we have forgiven our debtors or trespassers. And Father, lead us not into temptation, but Father, we ask that you would deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, this is kind of an addendum to the fifth petition, your Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. So let's, let's just take this line by line. I, I don't, I, I've, in the past, I've preached a series on each of the petitions. I'm gonna do a cursory overview today, really connecting it to our union with the Father. So let's dig into this idea of the, our Father in heaven. And I think this is something we might overlook. At this point, Jesus' disciples knew that Jesus had a heavenly Father, but they didn't know they had a heavenly Father. So it was astounding to them to hear this. Wait, Jesus, your Father? Is, is, is our father too? We, we have that kind of access, Jesus? You mean I don't just have to go to the, the, the priest and have him intercede on my behalf? You mean I have that kind of access to the father in heaven? Yeah, mind-blowing for them to hear this. Jesus is saying you have a father in heaven who made you, who knows everything about you, and nothing that you say, express, or ask for could ever surprise him. But also, because you have this father, You don't have to be so guarded and pretentious as you come to him. Your father is not interested in the future make-believe version of yourself. He's interested in you as you are right now. You can come to him like that. I love what Paul writes in Galatians chapter four about this. Here's what Galatians four says. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. Get this, so that, the whole reason Jesus came, so that we might receive adoption as sons and we can add daughters as well. Because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. 
So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through Christ. The Holy Spirit, friends, is actively working on our behalf in the heart of every believer to help us believe and live out of this reality that we have a Father in heaven. Isn't that wonderful news? How much, how much sin do we get ourselves into because we believe we are orphans on this earth? We have a Father in heaven, and the Holy Spirit right now is actively working in your heart, believer, to convince you of the reality that you have a Father in heaven. The spirit of adoption is perking up inside you. I can see it on your face this morning. That is possible because we have a Father in heaven. But he doesn't stop there. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holified be your name. We, we wouldn't really use that word, but he's, he's talking about the name of our Father and how it's different and not just the name, but everything the Father represents. So let me ask you this question. Has someone ever got your name wrong before? They ever mispronounced it? So, Carte, if you're in here, uh, Leon's got you last week, called you Carte, that's all right. Um, you know, forgotten your name, they're, they're, you know, you've met them several times, you come up to them and they're like, and they're like avoiding saying your name, you know what I'm talking about? You've done that trick too. It, you know, it all happens to all of us, but in those moments, I think a lot of times I kind of feel a little bit forgotten, right? Um, you know, like you feel a little less important. You, you, you kind of feel forgettable. And, uh, and why? Because our names are a part of who we are. Uh, we are image bearers that are called by name, right? Uh, and so God's name is, is, is so much more than even that. Like because of his name, we find our identity in our name and, and who he's made us to be. Jesus uh, is teaching us to pray so that we might understand how distinct, how amazing, and how perfect our Father in heaven really is. He's unlike any other God. You think about the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal, and he calls on the name of the Lord. His name is different. Don't, and so what do we do? We throw his name around. We curse with it sometimes, and we just treat it like, um, you, you know, any, any, anything else we would treat because we treat each other so poorly sometimes. And, and Jesus is saying, this is not how we're called to live. Um, the name of our God and thus the word of our God that represents, that, that, that kind of flows from the name of our God is unlike anyone else. But in our sin, when we toss it around, we curse his name, we trample on his word. But when we see him as he is in an ever-increasing matter, this changes but we need the Holy Spirit alive inside of us to illuminate this, right? And we call upon his name and we consider his word holy. We gotta pray for that, he says. That doesn't come natural. He goes on to say this. So we have this father in heaven who has this name that's different than any other God. And, and this father that we have in heaven, this specific father that we call by name, has a kingdom. It's a kingdom that, that has come, is coming, and will come. And that kingdom... Uh, has come, is come, and will come through his will being accomplished through, through how? Through his, his people. That's how the Lord is accomplishing his will. His spirit is alive in his people. <clears throat> have you ever seen a really good movie trailer before? I know you have, David. Um, he watches a lot of movies. Um, maybe, put yourself in these shoes. Maybe you saw a really good movie trailer and it convinced you uh, that you really got to go check out that movie. You're not going to wait for it on Netflix or whatever. You're going to go see it in the theater. You're going to spend the 
$200 to take your family of six out. Go do it. And then you get there and you didn't look up Rotten Tomatoes. You didn't look at the reviews. You just went because you trusted the trailer. And you get there and you realize at the end of that movie that that two and a half uh, minute trailer was all the best parts of the movie, right? You ever, you ever done that before? Yeah, I have. It's no fun to do that. Well, this idea of God's kingdom coming and his will being done on earth as it is in heaven, he's saying that the way that the Lord works in our lives is that our lives are like a movie trailer of heaven itself. That his kingdom lives so powerfully in us and how we relate to other people, right? And how we handle and address conflict and how we go about business dealings and how we share our hearts and fellowship with other believers. All of it is telling the story of the kingdom of heaven, friends. And it's in our midst. He says, we gotta pray for that. We're not just gonna drift into the kingdom of heaven. And then when opportunity presents itself, may his will be done through our lives. He says, we gotta pray for that. We're not just going to fall into it on Monday morning. He goes on to say that not only are, are, we, are we called to, to, to participate in this kingdom, but he also cares about our needs. He says, give us this day our daily bread. You're, you're called to pray. He's interested in our very basic needs. In some ways, you could say that that, that prayer is about uh, praying for your specific needs that are right in front of you. You could say it that way. I think that's right. Like, like, uh, like uh, the, Lord, the Lord provided uh, manna from heaven for the Israelites, right? He didn't provide, you know, tomorrow's manna today. He provided today's manna. Well, except on Saturday for the Anyway, but um, some of you are tracking with me. But, um, but he says, pray for today's needs. But not only that, he's also calling us to pray for very specific things. Like sometimes I just, I, I, well, let me, let me put it this way. I think I have had, um, uh, at times I have had a, a difficult time asking God for provision. Like I said earlier, I'll just like go get another job or something. I'll just work harder. I'll just find a way to, to make something happen. But then I was reading Matthew chapter seven and, and Jesus says this about prayer. He says, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek, and you'll find, knock, and it'll be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and the one who knocks, it'll be open. And then he gives this crazy example. He says, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a rock? <laughs> Isn't that a crazy picture? You know, Roman comes up to me, asks for bread, and I'm like, take a rock instead, you know? That's a crazy, it's a crazy picture. Well, he wants to paint a crazy picture to us. Like, why would we not ask God? He says, or if he asks for a fish, he'll give him a, a snake instead, a serpent. He says, if then you who are evil because of our sinful nature know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Man, doesn't that just reframe who we see God to be? He doesn't just tolerate you. He doesn't just let you kind of skirt by and, you know, barely take care of you. He loves to give to us. He loves to give us very basic things, but sometimes he gives us above and beyond. In my discipleship group nine years ago, Phil and Brian, if you guys are in the room, you guys are going to recall this and kind of chuckle, but um, I had been uh, realizing how poorly uh, I understood God as father and therefore had this kind of broken worldview about provision. Um, and so I did this wild thing. <clears throat> I asked God to provide cabinets for my house. Anybody ever asked for something like super specific like that before, right? I'm like, Lord, I need cabinets. And, and here's the dimensions, you know, here's the color, you know. Megan, no, I didn't get that specific. I just asked for cabinets. 
And, um, and this crazy thing happened. You know, we were stretched very thin as church planters. We bought this foreclosed house. Megan had this desire to make this, this beautiful, hospitable place. And if you've been to our house before, she does a, an amazing job of that. But, but the, we had these ugly cabinets, man. They were sticky. We couldn't get them clean. There was no redeeming these cabinets. And so I've been praying this with my discipleship group for about a week. And then I get this call a, a week after I started praying. And it's my father-in-law. And he's, he's like, man, I got this crazy thing that's happened. I'm, I'm renovating this $2 million house. I don't even know why I'm renovating it. Everything in it's great. They just don't like some of the selections. And there's this, one of these things is they, there's this huge kitchen. And I'm like, uh-huh, I'm listening. And, um, and he's, like, he's like, I got to get these cabinets out of here. Can you come and help me? And I was like, I'll be there, you know, ASAP. I go rent the, the, the first 26-foot U-Haul truck I can go find and grab my friend Kirby. And we go down and we, we uninstall all of these cabinets and bring them to my house. And guys, there are so many cabinets that are in my garage that I build out the kitchen. I build out some stuff in the basement, the garage, and the bathrooms. There are cabinets for days. God loves to give his children good gifts. When's the last time you asked God for a good gift? When's the last time you thought that he loved you and cared enough for you to give you something that your heart desires? He goes on to say, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our, our debtors. Um, I, when, I was a, when I was a young, younger believer in high school, I remember asking a girl in my class this question. I said, so if I were to die suddenly tonight and I had forgotten to ask for forgiveness for my sins, uh, would I go to heaven or not? Because I was thinking about this verse. And she goes, I don't know. There's only one way to find out. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> you got me kidding. Anyway, so like, I'm like kind of troubled about her saying that, but, but I've since learned that this verse is really not about justification. It's not about this once and for all forgiveness that Jesus gives us. It's about learning to pray with the heart that, that, that is repentant enough to ask for forgiveness. That, just, that, that acknowledges the fact that we are sinful people. And it's a regular rhythm. If Jesus says here, this is a model for prayer, the question is how often is asking for forgiveness a part of my story? How often is it the substance of my my prayer, you know, you get, you get a couple kids together, they've, they've hurt each other. Why is it so hard to ask for forgiveness? You ever, you ever experienced that before? You're like, you gotta ask. No, you gotta say their name. You gotta ask specifically for forgiveness. And they're like, I don't want to. We do the same thing with our Father in heaven. <laughs> I, I just skirt around. I'll talk about something else with my Father in heaven. I don't want to acknowledge the fact that I am sinful and do not deserve him. And, it, and what he teaches us, he goes on and gives kind of that addendum at the end of the Lord's Prayer, that, that it shows up in our relationships whenever we don't uh, have forgiveness as a part of our own prayer life. It shows up in our relationships because it's hard and difficult for us to forgive other people when they sin against us. It says the more that, that, that we are, 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 are a people that are seeking forgiveness, the more that we extend forgiveness. Friends, grace is not, going, is, is, is not going to be extinct, right? Forgiveness is not an endangered species. So why do we use it so little? It is a bottomless well to extend to the world. We cannot outforgive the forgiveness of Christ. He says, we gotta, it's not just gonna show up in our lives, we gotta pray for it. We gotta ask to be forgiven so that we can have these forgiving hearts so that grace can flow through us. And lastly, Jesus prays this. He says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And not that the Lord would ever 
tempt us into evil. The scriptures tell us he doesn't do that. But, but the prayer is basically saying this. There is a tempter in this world, and he seeks to devour us, protect us from him. The more that we see who our Father is in heaven, the more you're going to realize how evil the enemy is, right? And kind of our naivety, when we don't see how good God is and how much he loves us, we don't think the enemy's that bad. The more you see him, the more you see how evil and distorted and twisted our enemy is, how he loves to accuse us. In fact, that's one of his names, the accuser of the brethren, right? We'll see how evil he is. Evil seeks to devour everything good and godly in this world and in your life. And we need our father's leadership and his protection in this world. And all of us are about this ministry of deliverance. I know when you hear like about a ministry of deliverance, you're like looking for a box of snakes or something. Guys, we gotta like redeem that attitude. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like a, like a Pentecostal church. Um, we gotta redeem this idea of deliverance. God's people are a, pe- some of y'all are smiling. Y'all been a part of those churches. We gotta redeem this idea. We're all about a ministry of deliverance. If you're not, you're not praying the Lord's way. We all need to be delivered from the hand of the, of the evil one. We all need to be protected by him. You might need protection from him in your thought life. You might have a, a, a very specific temptation in your life that you need protection for. Ask him for it. He loves to give good gifts to his children. Why would he not want to protect you? Jesus stands powerful. We live in his name so that we can resist the enemy and he will flee from us, as the book of James says. He stands powerful and able to deliver us from our enemy. The Lord brings us out of slavery to sin with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He's the God who parted the Red Sea. He's the God who has overcome the grave so that you and I can pray to our Father in heaven through his Son and in the power of the Holy Spirit that is with us now and always until the day of that very intimate interaction that we're gonna have with Jesus again. Amen? He's with us. Prayer is how we express that union that he's with us. So let's pray together now. Father, it's good to be back in your house today, Lord. Um, It's good to be with your people today. It's good to proclaim the gospel today, Lord. I pray that you would give us hearts that are able and ready to receive the goodness of your word today. Lord, I ask uh, specifically um, a couple things, Lord, that you would uh, make us a people who know how to go to the closet, Lord. Make us a people who seek your face on our own, not, not when we are just showing other people, Lord, but make us a people who seek your face when no one else is around. And Father, when we pray, would you give us hearts of substance, Lord? Would you give us hearts that, that, that address you as Father, that we have that kind of access to you? A Father in heaven who loves to give good gifts, who loves to protect and to provide for us. Father, reframe our thinking, recalibrate us to see you that way. And Father, we we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, Pastor Ryan here. We're so glad that you've tuned in with us and watched one of our online sermons. Our vision as a church is to live as the family of God together proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel of grace to one another in our city. 
If you don't have a church home or you're looking for a church, we'd invite you to attend one of our in-person worship gatherings so you can experience all that God has for us as a community of believers on mission.